Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. America's military is on a very different alert level these days. A wing of the GOP is going full-on 1800s nativist. Will it finally kill the party the way that, uh, you know, the party that it previously replaced? Presidential immunity forevs, y'all. We didn't start the fire. It's always been burning. But I digress. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this is a Truth or Fiction Tuesday right here on Critical Thinking. <laughs> Good Truth or Fiction Tuesday to you all. You know the drill by now. You can follow me on X or Facebook. I am at The Coppins Show. You can follow on Instagram at Critical Thinking Show. Um, but, folks, I, I, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on here at home. And that's why I talked about uh, we didn't start the fire. It's always been burning. So, do not forget. On a Truth or Fiction Tuesday, you can participate by following me on X, by following on Facebook, but more importantly, on X, I posted over there um, that you have the ability to just simply comment away with your Truth or Fiction statement, and you can participate in the show. So we would greatly appreciate that. We also greatly appreciate every single one of you that are downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing, following, whatever it is on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. We greatly appreciate it. We also appreciate all of you watching on Rumble or on X. Rumble is simply Critical Thinking Show, or Critical Thinking, excuse me, not Critical Thinking Show, but Critical Thinking, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. You can always follow on X, and I post the show there every single day as well. So with that being said, it is Truth or Fiction Tuesday. I've got four truth or fiction statements for you. I want you to think about them. I want you to interact with what I am saying or or doing. I want all of that to go down here. So with that being said, the first of the truth or fiction statements is this one. The U.S. will be at war in the Middle East before August of 2024. Now, I think that this statement is absolutely true. And I think it's because there are three reasons for it. The first reason is if we see the U.S. domestic situation heading into the presidential general election of November of 2024, being as chaotic as I think it could be, because the reality seems to be if you believe more polls, 
that there's a likely scenario in which Donald Trump's going to be the nominee of Team GOP. You've got Joe Biden then not bowing out. I fervently believe that. I believe that this is very personal between the two of them. And uh, he will not bow out. He might become president and then bow his way out, which would I would argue would be terrible for America because then that just means we didn't actually get a chance to select the president. It was selected for us. And I think, by the way, that is a great argument that Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump need to be making right now is that an election of Joe Biden is actually the election of Kamala Harris. That is a great argument against this because Kamala Harris is bad news bears for America. She's incompetent. She's a moron. She is way out of her depth. All right, that being said, when we talk about the chaos of the political persuasion here in America in potentially August of 2024, we're going to get into some of that, but we know that there's likely to be trials, likely to be Supreme Court rulings, um, likely a bunch of different things going on with Donald Trump, should he be or not be the nominee. But if there's absolute chaos, one thing that I know from my own history, the easiest way to make sure that you stymie that chaos is, well, go to war. And what do I mean by that? Well, coalescing after 9-11, going to war in Iraq, the patriotic fervor of America tends towards keeping the president that is in power in power. So if I'm looking at this from that perspective, what's an easier way to have Joe Biden stay in power, if you will, than to make sure we're going to war in the Middle East? And there's number two on the list because number one is predicated by number two, which is that we are seeing an absolute powder keg continuing to explode over in the Middle East. We have reports of um, a Norwegian ship being fired upon by Houthi rebels in Yemen. We know that Syria... We have issues there because we are directly involved in Syria and in a conflict in which we're backing, wait of, wait, wait for this for, for a moment, the Marxists. Figure that one out. But there are issues in Syria. Turkey is increasingly in an in antagonistic footing, if you will, over there. You've got Hamas the Palestinian Authority, <coughs> you've got the entire powder keg of what's going on between Hamas and Israel, of which we have no idea how long. We are not really kind of doing anything to really make Israel bend the knee or to lessen Hamas's stranglehold, if you will. So we're not kind of playing the middle, if you will. But then you got Iran over on the other side, right? And by proxy, all the things that we're doing and not doing over there are because of that. But the Houthi rebels, very much aligned with whom? Iran, very much funded by Iran. The rebels, quote-unquote, in Syria, funded by Iran. 
Hamas, Palestinian Authority, Iran proxies. How long does it take before we get a pretext for either supporting Israel or uh, we've got to back Hamas somehow or we get fired upon multiple times by Houthi rebels in which American service members are killed in mass before that becomes a predicate for going to war. And thirdly, it's the economy, stupid. I, I, I think you have to look at the economy. You have to look and wonder where Americans see the economy in 2024. So I add up the chaos in the Middle East, the presidential potential chaos here in America, the patriotism, and it suggests to me that if they think that this isn't going to go the way that uh, Joe Biden would like it to go, or more importantly, his puppet masters would like it to go in 2024, this is a pretty simple way to get people to, you know what? I, Because, folks, it happens all the time. Name the last time in the middle of a war fighting effort we went, yeah, nah. I'll, I'll wait right here. Other than the natural scenario, well, the unnatural and then natural scenario. You know, the, yeah, we had um, JFK, then Johnson, then Nixon, right, with Vietnam. But again, those were naturally progressing scenarios. But America is very much not into changing course when they've charted a course right away. So I would look to the summer to be this point in time in which that powder keg of all the peas that I mentioned, patriotism, proxy war, um, and all of that, right? I would look at it from that perspective in that time frame because if we're ramping up that war effort, it is the most patriotic Americans are likely to be because support the troops, right? But we're also at a very different tipping point when it comes to people's um, fervent support of war. Would this be seen as endless war? And I think the way around that if you are the Biden administration would be if Americans are increasingly under attack over there. Now, I would argue the the simple solution would be to get the hell out and let these morons fight it out themselves because they've been morons for literally a millennia plus when it comes to all of that. So I absolutely think that this is going to be true. So prepare yourself, another P, but prepare yourself for that. I, I really think that this is a possibility for America, and I would put it somewhere in the range of 70 to 80% at this point. Other than the Houthi rebels becoming smart and not attacking American warships and American servicemen dying, short of that or short of Hamas somehow gaining some sort of a sympathetic foothold in all of this, I wouldn't be surprised to see us at war before the general election. All right, with that being said, though, I think it is also a good time for us to take a look at the second. And this one is going to be sort of foreign policy, but also um, 
domestic policy for America. And my second truth or fiction statement is nativism will become the thing that ultimately kills off the GOP. And what do I mean by this? Well, lately there's been a large swing and and it's more pronounced and more vitriolic and more reminiscent of the uh, do-nothings or the know-nothings of the 1800s and, and, and that wing of the Whigs and the know-nothing party that came out of it and, and all of that stuff. But the rhetoric, and I've long talked about this, has been there. And it's interesting how this nativist group has come about and kind of percolated up from the bottom of the GOP pool. Because there's there are a lot of thought leaders, conservative activists that are ascribing to this, which I am astonished by, considering a lot of them understand the history regarding, or should understand the history regarding treatment of others, quote-unquote, that have come to America in the past. And the, the contributions that have been made by those, quote-unquote, others to American life, industrial society, capitalism, patriotism, all of that. But recently there was an article in The Blaze by Daniel Horowitz. And this article in The Blaze is titled, New Census Data Shows America is No Longer America. He says, We now have a greater share of immigrants in this country from more extremely divergent cultures than at any time in our history. Who voted for this and who thought this was a good idea? Imagine if we could go back to a time when Congress debated the 1965 and 1990 immigration bills. Lawmakers would promise the public that the nation was about to embark on the largest expansion of immigration ever, indefinitely, that would uh, violate every principle of our balanced immigration system and values of assimilation. Now, I want to stop there because this is the beginning of this, I think, poisonous. And look, Daniel has been on this program in the past, but here's here's the deal. And, and maybe we can get him on to to maybe debate this back and forth because I think this would be a very interesting conversation. Because assimilation, what does that actually mean? And I think this has to go back to our entire history of immigration in this country. We have a really bad history when it comes to this nativist bent, which is weird to me because we are literally an entire country founded on, wait for it, immigrating here and divergent immigration. Well, sure, it was Protestantism, right? That really kind of was the glue, if you will, that held America together. But you had the Quakers in Pennsylvania. You had the Puritans. You had this group. You had the Pilgrims. You had the, uh, you know, 
you had uh, Catholics in Maryland, right? You had these other areas in which very divergent sects of, of Protestant religion or Catholicism to a lesser degree to the point in which you could kind of identify where you wanted to be based off of your Protestant sect at one point or time. Assimilate to what is a very important question to answer. My suggestion is that assimilating to a Judeo-Christian Western worldview is what he is talking about and what we should be approaching, a Judeo-Christian worldview. Now, I would also argue to this nativist crowd who wants to say, well, who voted for it? Who thought this was a good idea? Is assimilation something that happens overnight? No. Assimilation is maybe generational. Assimilation is not breaking down customs or whatever, but melding those customs within the American value system, which is a Judeo-Christian Western worldview value system. There's no question about that. Do we do a good job of that today? No. I would argue you can take a look at how we've got, you know, different pockets. Look at Chicago. Look at other places in which you can absolutely see everybody self-segregating. And they're basically living out the values of their homeland, not incorporating them into how America lives or, or living how Americans live and then incorporating their maybe food customs or religious customs to a different degree. That's not what we're actually talking about. But assimilation is a very key word because... I am very aware of how the nativists in the 1800s actually used this term as a weapon. And it was a weapon turned on even people from Western cultures, people from Western European culture. It was turned on the dastardly subhuman Irish Catholic population. It was turned on the subhuman Italian-American immigrant population because, again, Catholicism. It was turned on the, the Chinese population in the 1800s because they took our jabs. Now, he points out that under the current trajectory by 2065, 88% of our population growth will be from immigrants. Interesting. That's very, very interesting. But let's turn the data points around a little bit here because the share of the U.S. population that is foreign-born as of uh, 2013 sat at about 13.1%. And I'm doing this from Pew Research. Now, the number is probably closer to about 15% today. But in 1910, that was at 14.7%. Okay? 1890, 14.8%. 1900, 
This is not an abnormal situation. It is abnormal based off of how we have kind of attempted to shrink the pie, if you will. But Horowitz continues saying that um, here we are today with record immigration and no end in sight. Isn't it time for a mature discussion about a balanced approach to the numbers and types of immigrants we are admitting so that our system is deliberate and not chaotic? This system is chaotic? Lest we forget that outside of, I believe it was the 1790s and then early 1800s, I believe up until like the 1820s, maybe the 1840s, don't quote me on the last part of this, but the only thing that we uh, wouldn't allow for immigrants was non-white. And then that spigot got turned off and we were allowing... Um, some Asian immigration, some uh, Latin American immigration into this country. And then that spigot would turn itself off and turn it back on, and there's a whole lot. But basically, if you were from Western European countries, there was no, unless you had um, an absolute murderous background or were not of good moral character, whatever that actually meant. And a lot of the nativist of the time meant, how dare you be Catholic? But I digress. The point of the matter is this. You had a really easy route to come to America. Was that bad for America? Should we have said, eh, nah, no thank you? Or did that help America? Because the same arguments that Horowitz and his crowd are making here in 2023 were the same arguments being made in the 1880s and 1890s. They're taking our factory jobs and our menial labor labor jobs and uh, Americans are more poor because of it. Or, Or, alternatively, did we become a more prosperous society because of immigration? Nikolai Tesla, Edison... Ford and his family, we could go on and on and on. If they don't immigrate here or their families immigrate here, this doesn't happen here. It happens elsewhere. We don't benefit from it. Now, he goes on to say that according to the Census Bureau's current population survey, as of October, there were 49.5 million foreign-born people living in the U.S., representing an increase of 4.5 million since Joe Biden took office. Now, that number is important to understand because can we handle the influx? Can we handle that number growing at that rate? I, I don't disagree. I have long said we have an absolutely broken legal immigration problem here in America which would, if we could solve it, if we would take it seriously, would help us with the illegal immigration. Now, he continues, saying that the absolute number has long been a record, but the headline from an analysis of this data by the Center for Immigration Studies is that immigrants now compose 15% of the U.S. population, a greater share than at any time during the height of the Great Wave during the turn of the 20th century. Now, that is slightly true, but again, as I pointed out, 14.9, 14.8, 14.7 at various points, according to the Pew Research data. So we're talking about like tenths of a percentage. The velocity of growth in the immigration has been so overwhelming that just last month, the census was still predicting we wouldn't hit 15% until 2033. 
but we are here today, a full decade earlier, and that's important. Now, broken promises have been part and parcel of all of what we have done from an immigration standpoint. Let us not forget that in 1965, when the Hart Seller Act was passed, they estimated that on average fewer than 200,000 immigrants would be admitted per year, predicting, predicting that 82% of them would come from Europe. Well, in fact, we've brought in over 1 million legally every single year, and 90% of them have now come from outside of Europe, with an increasing number coming from Islamic countries. And this is part of the problem I have with this argument. Especially coming from people like Daniel Horowitz, whose family was a beneficiary of our immigration policies. Daniel is a, is a Jewish person. His family got here because we gave special dispensation to Jews to come here. Fleeing persecution all across Europe, all across the Middle East. The beneficiaries are now turning on the people who now want to be a beneficiary of this. Now, I think there is a question to be asked about are they do they hold up a moral value code if you will a cultural way of life that is similar can be assimilating to or is it antithetical from and my other question is in our immigration policy, is it about morals? Is it about economics? Is it about just numbers of people? So data? Or is it a combination of all of it? And how would you measure all of it? Now, he points out that it does not include the plethora of foreign visas and illegal immigration, which he's right to point out. The U.S. admits over 1 million foreign students every year, many of whom are from China and the Middle East, with 200,000 of them remaining every year to compete for American jobs. So it's those dastardly others competing for American jobs, and we can't handle the people that are here, let alone build a bridge to those who want to come here. It is literally the platform of the know-nothings. And I am telling you right now that if this is the route that the populist version of the GOP want to go down, it will absolutely be in a total losing proposition and this party will never exist again. And frankly, it shouldn't. It has to learn. There are questions to be asked and answered. I am not saying that that is not the case. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But you hear the xenophobia... You hear the, um, they took our jobs, right? The, there might be a sentiment to tap into, but it is the ugliest of American sentiments. It is the worst of American sentiments, and our history shows that. And people like Daniel Horowitz, people like myself, and many others should know that history because it is their family's history. My family coming from Germany, from Ireland, from Belgium, fleeing economic hardship, coming here and experiencing Catholic bigotry, bigotry against Catholics, bigotry against the Irish who are seen as subhuman and the Germans who are subhuman and this and that, right? That's what was that was what was going on. That was what was being faced by these people as they got here. And to dismiss that history means that you don't understand that the arguments being made today are the same arguments made against those immigrants. It's a losing argument. The vast majority of American people will bristle at this and rightfully so. Now, he tries to make an argument that says this. During the late 1800s, we were, we were still a developing and growing country with ample space and virtually unlimited opportunities. Today, we are a full and mature country. No established country has undergone this degree of demographic transformation and replacement at such a late stage of its formation. Aside from the percentage of immigrants, raw numbers do matter in our ability to assimilate. Over the 29-year period, uh, 29 period from 1989 to 2017, even before the Biden turbocharged wave, the United States admitted 29.7 million immigrants during a comparable 29 period at the height of the Great Wave from 1896 to 1924, only 17.9 million green cards were issued. Also, because of shorter life expectancy and other factors, the great wave of immigration didn't result in nearly as many naturalizations and a new voting population as this one has. Again, do you, anybody else picking up what's going on here? Oh, these people are voters and we can't have them voting because they're not quote unquote American enough. They don't, they're not really American. The argument against the Catholics was because American was America and the Protestants in America believed that this was a Protestantly founded, a a you know, Lutheranized country. This was so 
they were antithetical and we can't allow them to naturalize because we, we went from five years to 14 to 21 back down to five, by the way, in the 1800s. We also do have a naturalization process issue. We have a process issue when it comes to legal immigration, period, point blank. But I will ask this. Are you making the argument that because America was growing, we needed that population and it helped us, but now we don't need any help? Now we don't need any innovation. We don't need anybody to come here and do something different or better? Wait a minute some of the best technological advances have come from our immigrant population. Um, Americans shouldn't have to compete. Americans should insulate themselves. Is that what we're arguing here? One could argue by the early 1990s, we had surpassed the size, scope, and cultural transformation of the equivalent period of the first great wave. So are you saying that our cultural transformation is bad? I can make an argument that naturalized Americans or nativized Americans for whatever that term might mean have been the problem that immigrants are largely the most religious, the most fervent patriots that we have. It's actually us, not them. If you want to go into that, we're the issue. Now, does that mean that unchecked immigration is good? Is something we should be going for? Not necessarily. <coughs> Excuse me. I've long argued that we have to reform the system. We have to take a look at the numbers that we intake. We also have to find a way to streamline these processes so that illegal immigration can be tamped down. We also need to have a foreign policy that is helpful instead of hurtful. That's the reality of these situations. And propping up puppet governments here and puppet governments there that really are antithetical to American values or capitalism or cultural values that we want to try to, you know, put the boot on in Central America or South America or whatever. We, we have done a really piss poor job of all of it. By 2065, 88% of our population growth will be from immigrants under the current trajectory. Okay, so 2065, folks. This is the same thing as going to 1965 and then believing only 200,000 people would come here. And by those projections and numbers, we should be okay. This is replacement theory BS. This is some of the worst of the worst. And is it true that Americans, uh, the quote-unquote natural American citizen, if you want to use the term again. But the, the the population born here is having fewer children, are having fewer children, not is, but are having fewer children than the immigrant population. Absolutely, that's 100% true. So, okay, but replacement theory. Does that number change? Does that number change in the next 30 years? It very well could. You're trying to project today to tomorrow without any knowledge of how the world changes, anything. There are way too many variables in all of it. That's all that I'm saying here. 
So with that all having been said, I think now would be a great time to remind you to take a little bit of a break in your day, grab yourself fine, fresh roasted coffee, give you that pick-me-up, go to our friends over at Coffee Brand Coffee where they care about coffee. Not their politics, not your politics, not your culture war, their culture war, whatever have you. Just simply really good, fresh roasted coffee directly to you over at coffeebrandcoffee.com where if you enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout, you get 10% off of your purchase today. That's right, coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code CRITICALTHINKER where you can get your coffee, your tea, your hot cocoa. I think they still have some of their gift bags, um, so you might want to check all of that out in the holiday season. But again, that is coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER for 10% off of your purchase today. Okay, so with that being said, I think now is a great time for us to move forward, and, and hopefully we can explore this topic of new nativism because this is the Trump or the Trumpian platform. This is the MAGA platform on immigration. It absolutely is. I find it to be pretty ugly when you know the history of the language, the terms that are being used, the um, attitudes towards the others that were used in American history, and we should never, ever go down that road again. So I will absolutely repudiate anybody who wants to go down that road. I don't care if they largely agree with me on on 95% of everything else. This is the ugliest of America. That doesn't mean we don't have an immigration problem. It doesn't mean that we don't have a system that's not, that's not broken. That's not what I'm saying. The solution isn't to otherize people. The solution is to figure out how we best create a system that is streamlined, that is efficient, that allows for the best and the brightest to be here in an efficient manner, that those who want to be here can come here legally without all the toil and illegal stuff that goes on. We could stop the human trafficking. We could stop a lot of all the crap that goes on on the border if we just address the roots of the issues and figure out how our system devalues legal immigration today. That's all I'm going to say on that. All right. Now, speaking of Trump, the next truth or fiction statement, presidential immunity should be extended forever. And this is at the heart of yesterday's news where Special Prosecutor Jack Smith has gone to the Supreme Court of the United States, basically asked for them to rule as to whether or not President Donald Trump <clears throat> has presidential immunity forever for things that he did or didn't do while he was president of the United States of America. And look, I am not a legal scholar. Absolutely not. But I will say this. It's going to be really hard for this Supreme Court to, I think, take this case up. And here's why. You've got three Trump-appointed judges on there. You've got John Roberts, who kind of has an axe to grind, right? I find it really difficult for them because it's a 6-3 supermajority at this point, right? Allegedly. 
five four, maybe sometimes not. It would be really difficult for those three Trump appointed judicial nominees to directly rule on something about Donald Trump himself. I think they there's an argument for recusal. But furthermore than that, I fundamentally, whether this is a legally correct opinion or not, or how you interpret um, Griggs or Nixon, um, some of the decisions that the Supreme Court has handed down about presidential immunity, the immunity that has been, by the way, extended is largely civil. This is not civil. This is criminal, what Jack Smith is alleging and what he's being charged with in D.C. federal court. And this says nothing about the gulags and the um, absolute rigged D.C. Circuit Court situation that's going on here. That's to say nothing of those things. It's to say this. On a fundamental level, if the Supreme Court rules that the President of the United States is immune from prosecution for things that were illegal, things that were, um, yeah, just simply illegal, I guess. If he's immune from that prosecution forever, we've got a dictatorship on our hands. And we've got a very big problem. Very big problem. And what do I mean by this? What's to stop the next president then from rounding Americans up? Uh, You're a Catholic. You're a Christian. You're a religious person at all. Get in a camp. Line up for Marxism or else. What is... What is there to stop them from doing anything and everything they want to do? We did not elect a king. We did not elect a dictator. We elected a president. And there are terms and limitations to that. Furthermore, that presidency doesn't extend forever. You go back to being a private citizen after you've completed your roles within the executive framework of the Constitution of the United States of America. You are not immune from prosecution for doing things that are illegal. But the means of which, as the Trump camp will argue, is, and they have been arguing, is that the the means of dealing with that illegality are in the moment. The means of dealing with that issue come via what? Oh, impeachment and removal from office. Now, I could make the argument that, uh, okay, if that is the case, then they should have impeached him for January 6th. They should have removed him from office. And then what? What are the consequences? For me, that is a civil consequence. If you are doing things that are criminally illegal, not just statutorily 
illegal or outside the scope of ethics or outside the scope of executive branch power, which, you know, whatever, high crimes and misdemeanors, right? I really struggle with the concept of anybody being granted forever immunity for things that they did while in a public service office. What's to stop the grift, the graft? What's to stop uh, bribing? What's to stop, um, you know, putting us into wars for their own personal, you know, gain, benefit? Now you could say some of that's already happening, but that's the point. There should be some consequences for those things. And yeah, some of that could be removal from office. And is that good enough? During the time that he's in office, that is the right remedy. However, not all of that could be uncovered during the time of said presidency. So what do we do about it? If we find that illegality, if we find those things, I'm not suggesting that that's what's going on with Trump or that you know, January 6th charges of Jack Smith are correct. I'm simply dealing with the broader argument of forever presidential immunity. I think that is a very dangerous route to go down. Now, the question is, will the Supreme Court even take this up? Will the Supreme Court hear it? And if they do, are they going to miss the three members of the Supreme Court that were directly appointed by Donald Trump in a matter that deals directly with Donald Trump? I think that's also an interesting question to ask. I absolutely find that statement that presidential immunity should be forever to be fiction. It should not be forever. They should be immune from criminal prosecution while the head of state. Because we do have limits on that head of state. We do have time limits. We do have the amount of uh, times you can become president. We do also have mechanisms to remove from office so that the rest of government can function. That's really what the impeachment and removal process is really all about. We do have remedies. In office, we do have remedies or should have remedies out of office. Yeah. I murdered all my political opponents, ah, but I did it as president, so shut up. But it wasn't found out during your presidency, so now what? Do you see what I'm saying here? This is such a dangerous road to go down. This is the authoritarian, dictatorial scenario that I hate about Donald Trump, that I hate about our current government apparatus, period, amen. With that being said, speaking of Trump, uh, Trump's biggest sycophant, I mean just fan, Tucker Carlson had an announcement this week. Truth or fiction, the Tucker Carlson network won't last longer than a year. I'm going to go with truth on this. And, and here's why. I was, been, I was thinking about this. Is Tucker one of the brightest stars in conservative media? Yes. Absolutely he is. Does he understand the power of the internet and, and um, internet mediums? Absolutely he does. His work at the Daily Caller and, and, all, and all of that showcases that. He understands the power of visual. He understands the power of words. He understands all of it. He is a 
absolutely brilliant individual when it comes to understanding TV, networking, all of that sort of stuff. He is really brilliant at that. There's no doubt about it. He's been that way since the 1990s. He's been in this kind of uh, ability to chameleon himself into various iterations has been amazing. Like if you watched him in the 90s and you watch him in his MSNBC days and then you watch him now, you'd be amazed to see some of that transformation. But with that having been said, I still think one of the biggest things about him is that his star power has kind of gone down as he's done his stuff on X. People have kind of been tuning out. They kind of haven't really, like, it's kind of not been this, like, surge uproar of whatever for him. I haven't tuned into his program in a very long time. I was very curious as to what was going to happen with his program, but maybe this Tucker Carlson network goes into a different direction. That's number one. I, I, I just, I think the star power is a little bit tarnished at this point. Number two, here's the rub for me. Naming a network after yourself, okay? No, no, maybe it's a placeholder name, whatever, the Glenn Beck Network, right? That, that turned into the Blaze, right? GBTV, Glenn Beck Television, turned into the Blaze. It's not Ben Shapiro Network. It's the Daily Wire, right? And Daily Wire Plus, right? It wasn't uh, Mark Levin TV. It was Conservative Review. All right, CRTV. And I can continue to go on and on and on. Making it about himself will make it a failure, in my view. Because you have to have more to sustain in this time of streaming service after streaming service after streaming service after streaming service. What is your value prop? What is the value that you bring to the table? You look at Daily Wire. You look at... Um, the blaze. It's entertainment. It's politics, right? It's all those things kind of combined. Now, the Daily Wire is really putting his money where its mouth is and kid programming and, and all that sort of stuff. I think it, with Bent Key and, and everything else. But is that where the Tucker Carlson network is going? It's just unoriginal. And that's part of the tarnishing star power for me. And then thirdly is that is the economics. We're in an era in which Paramount is likely to be sold because its Paramount Plus streaming service is crumbling, is not doing well. I actually like it. I actually use it because I have a subscription to uh, some of the recruiting services for college football and stuff through uh, 24-7 sports, uh, which is part of the CBS digital stuff. So we get all that good stuff for free. Peacock is having issues. Other streaming services, Netflix is having issues. Everybody is kind of finding this streaming game to not be as lucrative as they hoped it to be. And now you're going to enter a already crowded conservative creation space. What is your value add that's going to make people stop with the Daily Wire, stop with the Blaze or whatever else have you, and go to Tucker Carlson Network? What is it? I, I don't know what it is. I just don't see how this isn't anything other than maybe a way in which 
Tucker gets out from under that Fox contract, can do his thing for a little while, merge in with the Daily Wire or the Blaze or something else over the peer, over the course of time and become one of the pillars of those organizations. But he also loves his independence. We know that. I just I just don't see in the space that exists where he comes up with a successful monetarily brainchild here. I just, what is it? Launching the Tucker Carlson network where everybody else is going to say that I'm part of the Tucker Carlson network. That's the crux of the matter. All right, folks, I'd be curious, which of these statements do you believe to be truth or fiction? I'd love to hear your discussion on this. So you can follow me on X. I'm at the Coppin show on Facebook at the Coppin show. And do not forget, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.